We take a short reading from First uh, Samuel chapter two. First Samuel chapter two, and reading from verse twenty-seven. First Samuel chapter two, and from verse twenty-seven. Uh, a prophet of the Lord uh, comes to Eli. Uh, He remains nameless, but he has important things to say uh, to Eli. 1 Samuel 2, 27. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest? to go up to my altar to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me. I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, Far be it from me, for those who honour me I will honour, and those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. And we end our reading there at that verse 30. Our second reading from God's Word is from First uh, Peter, First Peter chapter one. Uh, we'll be reading the first twelve verses. Just want to say at this point that uh, our text this morning is verses ten to twelve, and then God willing, this evening we'll resume uh, our study of First Peter, and the text this evening will be verses thirteen uh, to sixteen. Uh, 13 to 17 and then uh, I'll be back in three weeks time and then I'll be taking our communion addresses from the remaining verses of First Peter chapter 1. So a short series then beginning this morning in First Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, You have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, 
may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Amen. So read God's holy word. And turn with me again to First Peter, First Peter chapter 1. Uh, and the title that I, I've given to the sermon this morning it's one simple word, and yet a very profound word, the word salvation. <clears throat> salvation is a major theme of Peter's in this letter. Verse 10, for example, is the third time in this first chapter that he has referred to this monumental work of God. Back, for, back, back to verse 5 who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Or verse 9, the end of the verse, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In both these references, salvation is projected as something future, or at least something that has a future dimension. The best way to explain the future aspects of salvation is to consider the verb that is derived from the noun salvation, the verb to save. This verb to save is used throughout uh, the Bible uh, in many familiar texts. Uh, think of the, the jailer in Philippi crying out in the middle of the night to Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? to which he received the simple and very straightforward reply, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And the jailer did believe. And the jailer was saved. So why? Why does Peter give salvation a future dimension? Well, there are two reasons for that. <clears throat> And the first one is, we still need to be saved from the penalty of future sins. The sins that we will commit to our dying day. Now for the child of God, that is guaranteed. Through faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross, we have been saved from past sins. We will be saved from present sins. Or we are being saved from present sins and we will be saved from future sins. 
This future guarantee is encapsulated in the promise in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, where we read that the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And the tense of the verb there to cleanse is a future dimension, dimension that means keeps on cleansing us. So we have that assurance that all our sins will be blotted out, that all our sins will, will, be, will be taken away. And then there's, there's a, another future dimension. Our salvation will not be complete until we've been given a new body, like unto Christ's glorious body. And that body will be given at the return of Christ. The body in the grave, uh, turned to dust, will be made new. It will be made perfect in every way to join our glorious, our glorified souls at the resurrection. We will then occupy our appointed place in the new heaven and the new earth. At that point, our salvation will be complete. In our text this morning, verses 10 to 12, Peter returns to the subject of salvation. He has something more to say about it. That's how verse 10 begins, concerning this salvation. And now he tells us that it, that this salvation, was central to the writings and prophetic utterances of the Old Testament prophets. And so that's where we begin. First of all, salvation, the subject of prophecy. Salvation, the subject of prophecy. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Concerning this salvation, the salvation that was the experience of these elect exiles from the five regions mentioned in verse 1, from Pontus and from Galatia and from Cappadocia and from Asia and Bithynia. And that's that's part of northwestern Turkey, if you can picture that region of the world in your, ma- in your mind. Concerning this salvation, the prophets wrote about it. They prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. Remember who these people were. As their geographical location indicates, they were Gentiles. Peter says of them in in chapter 2 and verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. And the language used by Peter is similar to that used by the Apostle Paul when writing to the Ephesians. Again, who were mostly Gentiles. Ephesians 2, 11 to 13. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In the New Covenant era, God's mercy through the preaching of the gospel was reaching out to these Gentiles in in Ephesus, to to these Gentiles in 
Western Turkey, uh, extending uh, the mercy of Christ to all from any nation who repented of sin and had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that came as a shock uh, to many of the believing Jews in the first century. They thought, they thought that they alone should be the recipients of God's mercy. They thought that they alone were to enjoy the blessings of salvation through the Messiah who had come, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that shock is clear from the reaction of the leaders in the Jerusalem church when they heard about the grace of God coming to Cornelius through Peter's preaching. Acts 11 verse 18. When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. To the Gentiles, oh, we didn't, we didn't think that was going to happen, but now we know that it has. And of course, they ought not to have been shocked, as our, as our text confirms, informs us, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. These Old Testament uh, prophets had, had prophesied about this. The grace that was to be experienced by the Gentiles. Isaiah was one of those prophets. Uh, in chapter 39 at the end of verse 6, we read this. <clears throat> God is speaking, I will make you the Messiah as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. Prophetically, the psalmist testified in Psalm 98 and verse 3 that we were singing at the beginning of our service, he has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And it's in the past tense. So certain is the fulfillment uh, of this promise. Once these people were, were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, they who once were far off were brought near by the blood of Christ. <clears throat> they prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. That is the grace that is now theirs, Peter is saying. And friends, that is the grace that is now ours. As far as I'm aware, there's no one of Jewish ancestry in this congregation. Like the people in northwestern Turkey, we, or at least our ancestors, were strangers to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But then the gospel, the gospel came to these islands. These islands on the western fringe of Europe. And many believed and experienced the grace spoken of here. And you, sitting here in Trinity today, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you too will be saved. If that is your testimony, if you've done that, then these Old Testament prophets were speaking about you. They were speaking about you and the grace that was to come to you. However, I believe the, the grace spoken of here had a, an even deeper and wider dimension 
than simply the gospel being preached to the Gentiles. That was glorious. That was wonderful. And as, as Christians, we speak of the immense blessing of not only having heard the gospel, but also having experienced the transforming power of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. We are new people in Christ. However, these Old Testament prophets also spoke of the additional blessings to be enjoyed by those living in the new covenant era, at the time in history when Christ had come, when his righteous life had been lived, when his unblemished sacrifice had been offered, when full atonement for our sins had been made, when the glorious resurrection had occurred, when the Messiah had triumphantly ascended into heaven, and when the Holy Spirit had come down from heaven upon the church. These additional blessings are enjoyed by those living in the new covenant era. For we live at the time when redemption has been accomplished by Christ. We're living at a time in history when redemption has been applied to us by the Holy Spirit. In other words, we live in the full light of day. In the full light of a completed redemption. The book of Hebrews speaks of the Old Testament saints living in the shadows of the Old Testament types and ceremonies. By contrast, we are living in noonday light. The noonday light of God's complete and final revelation. They spoke about the grace that was to come to you. How immensely privileged we are. Make the most of your privilege. Never for a moment despise your birthright. Remember too that with, with privilege comes responsibility. And young people in particular, I challenge you. I challenge you, never despise the light of God's truth that is shining brightly in your home. Never despise the light of God's truth that is shining brightly in this congregation. Trust Jesus Christ, the light of the world, to save your soul from death. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who gives you a purpose for living and a hope in dying. Place all your hope and confidence in him. Salvation, the subject of prophecy. Then secondly, salvation, the subject of prophetic inquiry. Salvation, the subject of prophetic inquiry. We read in the text that the Old Testament prophets searched and inquired carefully. Of course, that begs the question, for what were they searching? Into what subject were they making such a careful inquiry? Well, the text goes on to answer these questions. Verse 11, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. 
I want you to notice uh, the reference to the Holy Spirit. He is described as the Spirit of Christ. That suggests, that indicates that the coming Messiah, the coming Christ, was the focus of the Spirit's activity in the life and work and ministry of these Old Testament prophets. For example, the Holy Spirit was active in the life, work and ministry of Moses. Moses was a prophet and Jesus addressing the unbelieving Jews of his day said in John 5:46, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Now we know that Moses wrote the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And therefore, in these books, he was essentially writing about Jesus. Then, of course, by, by the Holy Spirit in doing so. Remember also how the two on the, the Emmaus Road were so confused about the death of Jesus. They didn't think that would happen. And then Jesus drew near and walked alongside them and addressed them with a mild rebuke. Luke 24 from verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then later on in that chapter, when the eleven had gathered, Jesus spoke to them, verse 44, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. The Old Testament prophets wrote about him. They wrote about Jesus. And they themselves understood that. They understood too that Jesus would come as the suffering servant. The Holy Spirit working in them and through them predicted the sufferings of Christ. Isaiah 53 is is a clear example of this. It is a chapter more than any other in the Old Testament that vividly predicts the sufferings of Christ. And later in this first chapter, Peter would underline the purpose of these sufferings. That in suffering, Christ would set his people free from the bondage and tyranny and punishment of sin. From verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And so this morning, if you are in Christ, united to him by faith, you will share in his sufferings. That's a fact Peter pointed out to these believers in verse 6. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. 
But not only did the prophets predict the sufferings of Christ, but also the subsequent glories. Going back to the uh, village of Emmaus again, and what Jesus said to the two disciples. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Remember also what Jesus prayed in the upper room, a matter of hours before his crucifixion. John 17, verse 1. Father, the hour has come, the hour has come of his death, of his crucifixion. Glorify your Son, that the Son may also glorify you. Then a little later in that prayer, and I, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So the Spirit of Christ in these Old Testament prophets predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Jesus has now entered into that glory. And those who believe in Jesus, yes, they will share his sufferings. But they will also share in his glory. It's all summed up by the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, verses 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Suffering with him, being glorified with him. These things the prophets knew. However, the two things that were the focus of their search was the person and the time of the Messiah. Verse 11 of our text, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Think first of all about the time. They were searching diligently as to when these things would all happen. When precisely would Messiah come? They searched, but, but they did not know. It was not revealed to them the precise moment in history when the Messiah would come. Nevertheless, they waited patiently in faith. And when the fullness of time had come, as we read in Galatians 4 and verse 4, God sent forth his Son. They didn't know the precise time. But God had a precise moment in history when he would send his Son. And at that moment, he sent him. But what about the person of Christ? When he came, would they recognize him? Would they recognize the Messiah when he came into the world? But sadly, many didn't. As we read in, first, in John 1 verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Many didn't, but others did. Verse 12, but all, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And examples of that are, are Simeon and Anna in the temple in Jerusalem. When the infant Jesus appeared in the temple, they recognized him. They knew that 
that that infant child, that baby Jesus, was the person spoken about by the prophets. They understood at that moment that Messiah had come. And you don't need to speculate about the time. Because 2,000 years ago, Messiah came. He fulfilled every prophetic word that was written about him. And he has now returned to his father. However, you do need to be concerned about the second question. The person. We know about the time. But what about the person? With Anna and Simeon, have you recognized the person of Jesus of Nazareth? As the Messiah, as the one whom God sent into the world to save his people from their sin. Have you received him? Have you turned from the false gods of this evil world and placed all your hope and confidence in God's only begotten Son? But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that's what we are. We are his children. And he is our father if we believe in his son, Jesus Christ. Remember, it is only those who receive him who are saved. And all the rest, all who despise him, all who reject him, all who turn away from him, will be cast into hell to suffer eternally for their sins. Salvation, the subject of prophecy. Salvation, the subject of prophetic inquiry. And then finally, and quite briefly, salvation, the subject of angelic attention. Salvation, the subject of angelic attention. Notice the final words of verse 12. Things into which angels long to look. Things into which angels long to look. What is it that was the focus of such angelic attention? Well, as it refers back to what Peter has written, I think we can say that their longing look is on the magnificent grace of God. The magnificent grace of God enjoyed by every believer. It's the grace of God that, that binds Christians together from every race of humanity, gathers them together into one body, into one family in Christ. At this moment in history, there are Russian believers who are embracing Ukrainian believers. There are brothers in Christ and they love one another in spite of the war that is going on. At this moment in history, there are Jewish believers who are embracing Palestinian believers as brothers in Christ who love one another in spite of the horrific war that is going on in the Middle East. Warren is now preaching in Galway. And the congregation there is made up of people from six or seven different nationalities. Culturally, not much in common, but they meet each week and they join together in worship wholeheartedly, glorifying God, the one true and living God. 
They blend together as one people united, joining together in the worship of Almighty God, loving one another, serving one another, encouraging one another, supporting one another. And as a congregation here, you come from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of gifts and all kinds of abilities, but you're one people united together in Christ Jesus, indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And the angels in heaven look down on this sight. And I believe they are filled with awe and wonder, looking at the grace of God in full display in the church. This grace that displays the multifaceted wisdom of God, the multifaceted wisdom of God who has planned it all, the multifaceted wisdom of God who has executed it all, the multifaceted wisdom of God that is glorified through it all. There are three verses of scripture which I believe summarize the sermon and encapsulate its thoughts. And it's Ephesians 3 verses 8 to 10. Paul writing to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that, and notice these words, so that through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, to the angels, to the angels who gaze in awe and wonder, at what God has accomplished through his son Jesus Christ manifest in the church of the living God. Salvation, the great theme of Peter in this first letter. Salvation, the primary focus of our attention this morning. It was a subject of prophecy. It was a subject of prophetic inquiry. It was a subject of angelic attention. Make sure this morning, make sure that you believe all the prophets have spoken. Take time, take time to dig deeply into God's word so that you may discover more and more about this so great salvation provided for us through faith in Jesus Christ and be filled with awe and wonder as were the angels at the multifaceted wisdom of God who made such rich provision for us. In Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us come before the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Most gracious and ever-blessed God, we do thank you for this great subject of salvation and for how uh, your prophets of old uh, spoke about it predicting the sufferings of Christ and the glories that should follow. And we thank you, Father, that the great message of salvation has been made known to us. And we thank you for those who communicated the message to us. It may have been preachers from a pulpit. It may have been parents in the home. It may have been friends in the community, whoever it was. We thank you for faithful ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and grant our Father that we may receive the word with gladness, that we may accept the Saviour and love him with our entire being, and that we may seek to serve him faithfully all the days of our life, and that we might, having got to know this great treasure, this pearl of great price, let others in on it too, that they may know him also, and so be saved. So our Father, we, we thank you for this time together. Bless us as we conclude with praise. And to your name be the glory, for Christ's sake. Amen.